Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. Uh, this is obviously Carlo, uh, and of course I'm joined. Uh, Pete is the, I guess, the Samwise Gamgee to my Frodo. Uh, hi, Pete. Good to be here. Um, I'm, I guess I'm making second breakfast. Oh, there you go. Uh, don't forget of Levensies, okay? Um, and then we're joined by a, a very famous personage, uh, Tom Bombadillo. Hello. Uh, is Goldberry around? No, actually, we're being uh, – <laughs> that's Aaron and Carly uh, from the Hit Factory podcast are with us. Uh, how are you guys doing? So good. I'm very excited to talk about this movie with you both because I feel that Aaron has been defaming my name, <laughs> slandering Ooh. me. On clemency. the internet, clemency for Aaron about uh, about my distaste for this movie, which is not distaste. Um, I'm here for the magic, as <laughs> as was once famously said on Arrested Development. Uh, but I'm glad I'm happy to be talking about this this uh, this movie that we're going to dive into because I want to redeem myself. Excellent. And uh, I mean, if folks haven't read the um, the title of this or been clued in by what we've been talking about yet, uh, we will be covering the uh, 2001 Peter Jackson film Fellowship of the Ring. Um, the first of the I'm sorry, what? Yes, the theatrical release, uh, the extended edition. I love it very much, but that is a tad too long. It's a considerable time commitment to do the extended editions. They're lovely, but yes, I don't know that they they actually add quite as much as people really think they do. Hmm. <laughs> Hard agree okay. on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I, I think it's an enhanced. Um, honestly, uh, I think it's like an enhanced uh, experience if you are already deep in the Lord of the Rings lore. Uh, if you've read, you know, the books and yada, 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 you get some little hints and little tidbits here and there, but I don't think it's really like there's, there's plenty already in the theatrical cut. I mean, it's, it's nearly three hours, folks. It's not, it's not like it's a, a short movie. Can I tell you guys how I feel about this? Because it is, it is very small and petty of me, which makes it perfect for a podcast. <laughs> I can't wait. So have you have you ever like been really into a band that nobody else has heard of and it got really big and people started talking to you about it all the time? And even though it's good that the band is raising its popularity, you're resentful? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, this, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, this is how I feel about the Fellowship of the Ring movies. Like, they took they took something cachet and, well, not personal, but it was, it was definitely a smaller audience that took a lot of effort and made it so, at least for a period of time, literally everybody knew what I knew about it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and there's a I think that's one of the things that for a long time I found sort of impenetrable about about the text, both the cinematic text and the books themselves is that um it had such a fervent following um and then became, you know, such an explosion onto the popular culture scene uh that it almost like turned me away from it and and made me I think a little bit more intimidated to dive in than I would have had it uh not been as popular yeah well I mean sometimes that's an inoculation like that made me I probably am one of the last people I know who read the Harry Potter books simply because everybody (laughs) who was ranting about them turned me off right I mean, I'm I'm getting that way now, but that's just simply because I'm I'm cr- getting cranky with my with my age, I suppose. <laughs> um, I mean, also, it's just like it, it. I think, and I think I said this elsewhere uh, to somebody saying that these films, Fellowship of the Ring, you know, The Two Towers, and Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings movies, are sort of like in and of themselves are the for me the beginning and the end of an era. Uh, in the sense that this was the first time I had seen a like a a really well done, very cannily uh, adapted uh, version of a Lord of the Rings property that had uh, the hybrid CGI and also uh sort of filmed all together remember that was the that was like the the weird marketing that mm-hmm. he he filmed them all at once mm-hmm. supposedly it took like 3 years or whatever uh but he was able to film them all at once to sort of reduce costs and that in and of itself i think sort of laid the groundwork for CGI to get good enough so that now we have nothing but CGI slugfests for the last 10 to 15 years and now i'm sick to death of it i'm sorry (laughs) no you're you're so onto something here though carlo you know like these films are just like are brimming with i don't know just like effort like every time i watch these movies i just see how much effort went into making them and you know like there's tons of supplementary material on like the dvds and, and especially in the extended editions like there are featurettes that are as long as the fucking movie that like show mm-hmm. you all the work that went into these things and you know this is becoming a trend because we talked about weta digital digital last time we were on the show uh with their stop motion work uh in in dawn of the planet of the apes and and that series but this was like really their testing ground and it it felt like it was the moment when cinematically they were finally able to achieve the vision of the books like before this, there there wasn't enough confidence in this sort of like massive scale, uh, computer generated like kind of trickery that you're going to see, and and then they finally were able to figure it out and do it and mastered it with this film, and then like you said, yeah, it it marshaled in this era where all of a sudden that was all anyone was doing, but you know a, a lot like with like Jurassic Park, you know, 
being the the kind of groundbreaking for for CGI, you know, proper and 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 integrating it seamlessly into a film. This is the one that I think really took it to another level. And uh and it shows. It's it's really impressive. Well, the two things I have to say about that is one, I 100% agree and like while while I think my feelings about that resentment are valid, they're also incorrect. I mean, mm-hmm. we we want we want people to have exposure to things. We want people to be able to experience things. At least I do. And so, like, I, I, I don't. I, there's, there's so many gatekeepers out there. I don't want to be one of them. And the other is, I kind of disagree with you about Jurassic Park because I really think they should have done puppets. That would have been fucking awesome. <laughs> well, they did some. You know. They did it's, do some puppets. It's it's a good integration of the animatronic. It's and, the later and ones that are digital. all CGI. Yeah. Did you, yeah, Pete, yeah. like when people were, um, when you were in like peak resentment phase, did you uh, find ways to undercut people's uh, sort of knowledge of the of the text by dropping some things that they may not be privy to if they weren't a true fan like yourself? Oh yeah, well it's like if if you if you'd bothered to check seven, chapter seventeen, the ants really didn't walk like that at all. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> I, it sort of reminds me, um, like did did you? Now this is a ridiculous question. I apologize for it, but think of it as a lead in, um. Did you watch the 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 Watchmen movie when it came out? Yes. Well, the thing about the Watchmen movie is with the exception of cutting out the pirate stuff, that was about as true to the comic as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And somehow it reduced it. Mhm. And totally agree. Yeah, and I don't quite feel that way here. Like I, I think I think things were like lovingly and intelligently done here. But I also feel like uh, Jackson regarded himself on some sort of monastic holy mission where he was he was trying to transcribe the book as perfectly as he possibly could <laughs> onto film. Uh- you know, Pete, you you bring you bring up something, and uh, it, it sort of links to uh, th- an article that uh, you you had linked us to, Aaron, regarding camp, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, there is, I, I I think I agree with the the premise of the fact that there are these moments of camp, sort of uh, threaded throughout Lord of the Rings. I will say, however, Pete, that uh, one of the issues with Watchmen, uh, especially the ending, the point, the point of the comic is to present you a completely over-the-top, campy, completely super-villain plan uh, with an extra-dimensional genetically modified octopus that is <laughs> yeah. not a nuclear bomb. And I believe that this was, I understand the reasoning behind it, uh, but the point of the comic and, and the text that it's, it's deriving its movie from is the fact that things have sort of degenerated within the world of Watchmen to a point that we have now become like the reality is broken down that supervillains and supervillain plans make sense. 
And mm. that was sort of like the, the capstone that I think is something that maybe was not filmable <laughs> mm. that Alan Moore put in there uh, on purpose, right? Uh, yeah. that he didn't want it adapted because it needed to exist within its own media. Mm. I'm going to agree with Carlo on this one. I, I, I think that there's a very easy resolution to this specifically. And first and foremost, they're like, shout out. Uh, to Kyle Turner, who's the the uh, author of that that Polygon piece about camp in the Fellowship, it's like it's wonderful. It's like one of my favorite things that's been written about it. It was it's came, come out very recently. You should look it up and read it. It's great. Uh, but I, but I have to say that you know if if there's a distinction between those two adaptations, one of them is is that Zack Snyder. You know, say what you will about him, whatever you can love the new Justice League, you cannot. You can like Dawn of the Dead. I, I don't care. Zack Snyder does not fundamentally understand the text. He did not understand what made Watchmen special. And I think that Peter Jackson completely understands the tone and like the ethos of the Lord of the Rings. And I think that he like more so than a lot of people was able to like kind of get at that like undergirding sort of uh, not silliness, but 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 levity that Tolkien has in the writing that is so often like missed. And I just, I think that he was like the perfect person to do it, even though he was like kind of surprising, you know, like this is not a person who like you think of as, as helming this three part massive scale, like fantasy series. Like he's a, he's kind of a schlock director. Right. And like had kind of made inroads in, in Hollywood and, and with the big time with like heavenly creatures, but he is not, he is not the obvious pick, but he is someone who I think, wholly and totally understood what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, um, and, and, and it's, it's really, it's really interesting because, um, I don't want to get too much into comparing source versus film because mainly because we're going to be covering the books as well, but, um, but also like, you know, it's really interesting to see how, uh, the adaptation basically liberally lifts lines that one character will say in the source material and then give them to another character mm-hmm. uh, or move them around in scenes so that they, they have a different impact. Uh, and uh, in, in a certain sense, some of the characterizations uh, are very different. Uh Shout out to Sean Bean, uh, the eternally dying man. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, folks. Uh, Sean Bean Always. dies in oh, movies. Apparently. <laughs> Sometimes I watch Sharp's rifles just to get a break from him dying. Oh, God. <laughs> but he is honestly like, um, yeah. and he's a surprising pick because uh, as sort of in the in the source material like all the gondorians are, are like um supposedly uh descendants of you know old numenor like at the the middle earth's atlantis if you will right and mm. they they all have like uh, black hair They're, he's supposed to look more like aragorn than than you know than sean bean let's put it that way uh you know and and uh you know you get sean bean but he infuses the character with this passion that you suddenly get exactly why, you know, he, he, he ends up the way he ends up, right? Uh, you understand exactly why uh, when 
uh, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but when he makes his turn, you understand exactly why he makes that turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's a man of, of, of lots of passions. You know, he, he's sort of like, um, I think I was, I was making a note of it that he is the mirror image or the, the, the negative image of Aragorn, who is very stoic. He, on the other hand, has a certain stoicism, but is not able to rein in his emotions. Mm-hmm. And that gets him into some trouble. But before we jump all the way to the end of the movie, uh, why don't we uh, actually talk a little bit about, you know, um, did did you all see the movie when it came out? Like in I theaters? did not. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, again, I, I, uh, Aaron has claimed that I am a hater of this film. I am not. Uh, I I just um, tried and uh, and didn't make it. Um, I rented it from Blockbuster when I was uh, a younger person and watched it late at night, as I often did with movies. Um, I was a big, big movie kid and always watched them when everyone else was asleep so I could just have my feelings and uh, and enjoy my movie time. And I fell asleep maybe like 30 minutes into this movie (laughs) and never went back to it (laughs) just for years and years and years until recently. Um, like within the last couple years, we, we have watched them. I think Carly's seen them all, uh, for the first time within like within COVID times. Yes. Uh, and it takes me about three or four starts to get through each film (laughs) 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 every time. Um, and and uh and when I you know when it came out it wasn't that I wasn't interested I just um I think I just didn't understand what the big deal was and um and for whatever reason wasn't uh wasn't drawn to the theater to go see it and then when I fell asleep watching it at home I was like okay I tried like that's it um and and for me I think one of the the biggest things about the the series and just the you know the Tolkien text um uh at large is as i said it it was always a little bit off-putting because it's it's a very dense text um and there's a lot of lore as as Pete said um and i think i was just intimidated by that and that's usually something that makes me more curious about a thing but instead um it just took me a really long time to finally come back to it when Aaron was like, no, you know, we really should watch this. I think you'll quite enjoy it. Um, I still don't really, uh, but I, (laughs) but I can appreciate it more than I think I did um, when I was younger. And I kind of wish that I had seen it on a big screen because the battle scenes and um, uh, just as an aside, uh, do you all remember when it was a big deal and everyone in sort of like the movie making industry. And I think to a certain extent, this bled into the movie watching a uh, populace was talking about the wildebeest scene in the lion King and how they animated mm. it with CGI mm-hmm. with certain computer elements. I remember this. So I was like super into that. I like watched way more about that than maybe like a nine year old should have. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that felt that feels a little bit like 
it was technology that anticipated a lot of the work that Weta did um, for these battle scenes because the battle scenes, even on our tiny little screen that we were watching the computer, watching the movie on, are breathtaking. I still can't understand how they did them. Um, So there's that's all that to say. There's lots to appreciate about this movie, even if you're a person who, uh, you know, only came to it 20 years later. (laughs) Cool. Well, um, I didn't watch it in the theater. Um, In fact, I was one of those people who smugly refused to watch it in the theater. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. As you should have. I don't know. Well, I mean, I just I get I get snotty at the strangest times. But um I was I was in the Philippines doing a training for my job for a month and I was at my mother-in-law's house and she, she you know I sat down and we were talking for a little bit and I looked over and I saw uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is on. And she's like, do you like this? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. I've really watched it. And she's like, you're watching now. And so she made me (laughs) sit for two and a half hours and watch this while she like continually refilled my beer. (laughs) That's the best way to watch it. That sounds great. I mean, I'm not complaining. It was just, you know, unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fantastic. Is that a... uh uh, advice from Pete is only watch this movie inebriated yeah. ever. <laughs> Drunk Middle Earth maybe, history. This is maybe this that's is what podcast. I was doing wrong. I know. Yeah, you need to be a little <laughs> watch bit, that. a little bit shittier to to watch this one and enjoy it. Um, you are, well, well, can, can we go back? Carlo just had a brilliant podcast idea. One thousand percent, patent it. Yeah, get people shit faced and describe their favorite books. I am on this. Hell yeah! Okay, you gotta do, yeah. it. do it. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna, great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bookmark that one, to, uh, Pete. Copywritten. We're, you're, yeah, perfect. Why don't the four of us do a couple of episodes sometime? Oh, hell oh, yeah, we need boy. to. Hell yeah! All right, Aaron. I thought uh, I think you had uh, your experience coming up. Yes, yes. Um, I, uh, with apologies to Pete in advance, am one of the people who saw this movie <laughs> when uh, when it came out in theaters. Uh, I will. Uh, reveal uh myself as the youngest person on the podcast and say that i was a mere 11 years old when this film came out boo i know uh (laughs) and uh i distinctly remember that i had an early dismissal day at school and my father picked me up and was like we're gonna go see a movie and got us tickets to it i had never heard of the lord of the rings i didn't even know they were books i didn't find out they were books until after the credits rolled and i became obsessed with them um math problem i was the age that you are now when the movie came out oh boy okay i'm just picturing a scenario where (laughs) pete is bullying 11 year old aaron (laughs) and being like uh you don't know what you're talking about dude i'm kicking the back of your seat and gleefully like shouting at this did you check chapter 17 i don't think so (laughs) are Um, you a true fan i think not (laughs) But, you know, I, I saw this film, yes, in theaters. I saw all the, the subsequent sequels in theaters. I saw Return of the King because by the time it came out, I was, you know, uh, a little bit older, I guess. Not, not much, but, uh, you know, old enough to get, like, dropped off at movies by ourselves. I saw that, that one in theaters probably three times, which Oof. is, if you're doing the math, like a collective, like, uh, 12 hours of, 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 setting, of sitting in a theater. But, um, 
I had never seen anything like this and I did not know what to expect from it. I didn't even really know what it was going in. I didn't, I forget, I didn't know the name of it. And from that prologue on that, like uh massive, like battle uh, with, with, you know, um, what's his name is Ellen Dill, Ellen Dill and, uh, and Isildur and Isildur. And, yeah. Uh, and Elrond and all of them like fighting against Sauron and, and, you know, I was hooked. And I think that at the time, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It just like, and I, and I took it so seriously, which is a thing that we've already kind of talked about a little bit and, and hopefully can talk about more. But at the time I I saw it as this like pristine, like incredibly rendered fantasy thing. And like up to that point, like fantasy to me had never been interesting. I was not into fantasy. Like to me, it was just the thing that like, like the six foot tall girl in class who like wet herself and like ate her boogers. Like, um, She's legitimately, she's, she's, she's better now. Um, but you know, ultimately at the end of it, I was so like enwrapped, I guess in, in this world and in the lore that like I, we went immediately to like a Barnes and Noble and I picked up the books and tried to read them and, uh, definitely had trouble with them. Cause I was like a little ADHD 11 year old, but like got through them and, and just, yeah, everything about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and like the lore of middle earth, um, just stuck to me like glue after I watched that first film, hmm. knowing nothing about it. And uh, probably why I'm so uh, endeared to it still and and why I I have such an emotional response to like every beat of this of this movie. You are Excellent. the living embodiment of how I am full of shit. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is perfect. This is exactly what I would hope this movie would do, and it's a refutation of my initial reaction. Perfectly mm. so. Chef's kiss, indeed. That's a really good point. I mean, uh, so my my experience, and this is, I, I do want to remind everyone: this came out in December of two thousand one. Nine eleven happened like uh, three months prior. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lord of I, the Rings did not cause 9 11, though. No, it, it, it did it not. Did not. <laughs> it did not, as far as we know, it did not. Let's at, at least, <laughs> unless, unless the archons of the earth uh, are pulling some really interesting strings, that's not, yeah, the causality is <laughs> not there. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I'd, I'd sort of been sort of obsessed about that. I mean, I was still living in Puerto Rico, uh, it didn't affect me directly, but you know, like. He, it's one of those things that uh, I knew on a grand scale things were had changed and were never going to go back. And that was my fear. Right. And uh, on, on a personal level, I was just having some issues with, with my partner at the time. And uh, I remember that I got out of work and I worked in the same mall that the movie was going to be uh, uh, showed at. And I, punched out of work and went straight up even in my uniform and just sat there just i was so glad because honestly i was i was the the fan who had been hearing rumors after rumor of like the lord of the rings was going to be made into a movie and it was finally going to get adapted and finally somebody's going to do uh finish what frank uh what frank actually never could uh even with animation 
And, uh, you know, I was the dummy who was sitting there with my stupid dial up, uh, sort of loading up for four hours, you know, the quick time video <laughs> to, to see the trailer or the, the making mm. of, or the teaser, you know, whatever. And, uh, so when I finally sat down there and just like, you know, the, the, I sat down and there was like some, a little group of, of like teenage boys who gave some colorful commentary, uh, <laughs> regarding, you know, oh, this sounds like the, the music, uh, when you, when you go to the inn at a, in an RPG, it's like, would you like to buy more? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, they were very funny, but also, uh, there, there was some stuff that I'm not going to repeat here. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh. The the mithril shirt definitely had them saying certain things, and of course, you know, <laughs> some of the more emotional moments at the end were were definitely ripe for them, you know, uh, making fun of. But uh, the the fact of the matter is, I sat there and for three hours I was able to complete the the world fell away. It just mm. I was just there, man, and you know I think I had the same sort of reaction to that intro, right? Which is like eight minutes uh, of like sort of backstory, somewhat more artfully done than the intro to the David Lynch Dune. <laughs> uh, much more <laughs> artfully done. Bit. Only a little bit. Yeah, just a tiny bit. Uh, and, and once they do the turn and the title card comes up and you see the little pastoral scene and they, I think you had mentioned it, Aaron, when the little... Uh, little Shire uh, music comes on, you know, it's just like, it just, everything comes together and just the, the, the combination, because this isn't, I'm sorry, this isn't like all CGI and all that stuff. There's like lots of interesting, just existing practical effects and tr mm -hmm. camera trickery that went into this where, you know, the just forced perspective and, you know, you make Elijah Wood look like a three year, three, three foot uh, tall little man, uh, you know, versus Gandalf uh, and so on. And like every performance works. Uh, for me at least, I mean, there, there might be some flaws here and there, but I, I, I have, I think even though the movie has sort of fallen a little bit in my esteem, uh, I still can't really find too much fault, uh, with the performances. Everything's give everyone in this is giving their all. Uh, you know, I, I'd mentioned Sean Bean, but I also want to mention another Sean, who really pulled everything together in this entire uh, film, like series of films, yeah. is just Sean Astin. Yes. Like, if we had not had Sam Gamgee be Sean Astin with his goofy earnestness in it, I don't know. I, I honestly can't imagine anyone else really pulling that off. Uh, the only reason that I think Carly's stuck with these films is because of the character Samwise Gamgee and Sean Austin's performance. He's my favorite. He is like, I, you know, everyone loves Gandalf. Everyone loves Frodo. I think that Samwise Gamgee is like the bleeding heart of the stories. And he is also for me, one of the most interesting characters um, out of, out of the entire landscape of interesting characters. And there are plenty, but, um, but Samwise Gamgee is, um, is just I, that's a character I relate to in a lot of ways, even if I don't necessarily have um, you know explicit referential experiences. Um, 
he's just deeply human despite the fact that he's a hobbit um and and sean astin's performance is impeccable i think that character could so easily be played uh kind of goofily and um and with less less earnestness to your point carlo um and that that would be a very slippery slope but sean astin is pitch perfect and god I'm sorry, Carly. You just gave me. Oh no, go! Uh, you you gave me a cursed thought. Could you imagine Sam Gamgee written by like uh, somebody that that went to the school of Whedon? You know, Jesus Christ! No, I just, was actually thinking that. I was actually thinking that that oh, character God. in another in another action movie handled by a lesser actor and a lesser director would just be like a monstrosity and, <laughs> be and, awful. and it's one of he'd be awful and it's one of the reasons i think i love love the character that much more is because i i can picture other versions of that type of character in in uh you know a sci-fi epic or an action epic or uh, a fantasy epic that are are really uh mishandled and um that's not the case with with this character and the last thing i'll say about about uh, Sean Astin's performance specifically, and this is where he departs further from Dear Elijah, is his English accent is so good that for the longest time, I thought Sean Astin was English because that was my first encounter with him was this movie. And then it was later that I realized he was in Bullworth and all these other weird things. Right. Um, but he's his English accent is perfect perfect he doesn't miss a beat and and he is um i think like you know we can or cannot get into you know there's lots of conversations around the um the sort of homoerotic nature of his relationship with frodo but i never really read it uh explicitly as like queer coding i i found his devotion to frodo to be just so pure and he is such a he's a character that's so um that is really just driven by his connection to others in a way that is refreshing and um you know as a person who believes in solidarity and feels quite frequently the ways in which we're alienated from one another on a daily basis like just a really lovely performance to see on screen yeah yeah i agree I mean, and, and, and to your point, I think that there's something, and, and this is from the source material, I'm sure, um, there is something to, like, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that Sam's devotion to Frodo is, is touching. It's truly like, I, I get even emotional thinking about it because it's, it's, yes. it's truly just true love. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you sometimes don't get that, right? You get like this broiness, and there's so many instances, especially towards the end of this, where there are like these beautiful expressions of, you know, I call it like manly tears, uh, and I'm I'm sort <laughs> of I'm sort of making a joke there to deflect a little bit because I don't want to get too much more emotional thinking about it, but mainly it's because <laughs> you don't you don't see these types of expressions of you know, sort of just pure love between two dudes, you know, I, I love totally the man agree. and you know, that th there is something to it. Uh, and I understand why people want to sort of fit it into like a, a, a queer box, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because they're, they're, you know, up until that point, there's not really much there for other, you know, uh, queer people to, to really latch onto in a lot of sci-fi mm-hmm. and fantasy. Um, I think that there's a, as an aside, there's a lot more variety now and, and, you know, you, you can go farther afield and, and find it. But, uh, the fact of the matter is I don't think it's in text because, uh, I think, uh, what Tolkien was, Tolkien was doing was basically pairing off. You remember this old thing about like everyone had like everyone way before time began, uh, was like joined together and you, you know, as the world became, you know, more, uh, sundered or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you, you become separated from your other half and you spend yeah. all mm-hmm. your, you spend all your life finding that other person that was connected to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this is exactly what's happening here because Sam and Frodo are sort of parts of each other. Uh, right. and you get the same thing as Mary and Pippin get the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aragorn and Boromir and Legolas and Gimli. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more, it's much more pronounced in the source material, but Legolas and Gimli become like very close friends so much mm-hmm. so that they, they sail off, have adventures together after the, the events of, of the, of the story uh, finalize. And uh, you know, I think that there is something to be said about just the plain fact that you get these, beautiful you know beautiful expressions of of love between two men dudes being uh, dudes man yeah dudes being dudes dudes being dudes big time i have something related but very silly and hilarious i'd like to share if that's cool please <laughs> always always pete are you guys familiar with the film festival called fantastic fest yes i am okay well there's a traditionally there's a boxing ring at Fantastic Fest where people can settle important issues that are bothering people about film. (laughs) Okay. Is that real? Really? It's real. And in 2018, (laughs) they booked a very special match. And that was Elijah Wood versus Radcliffe as to who was allowed to be in film because they look too similar. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who won? I know who did win that. Uh, Rad- Radcliffe said he didn't want to do it because he respected Wood too much, <laughs> and Wood was like, "You pussy!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, he had, I he had, Elijah he had Wood's Sean been Aston. when he's been in, he's been acting longer than Daniel Radcliffe, so yeah, maybe actually, he, maybe he gets it just by default. I was thinking about that actually when we, you know we were talking about the cast, and I find it interesting that Frodo and Sam both are are. Uh, portrayed by child actors. You know, Elijah Wood has been working for a long time and Sean Astin got to start like in the Goonies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just, I, there's nothing to that further than that. It's just, I found it interesting that those two specific roles were given to uh, two, two of the actually really at this point, kind of more, the, the, the most tenured actors like in the entire cast. Like obviously Ian McKellen is, is an outlier there, but like, Vigo had a bit of a career through the nineties, but like this was sort of his star making turn. This was mm-hmm. Orlando Bloom's star making turn. Um, John Rhys Davies kind of on the periphery for a little while until he came back with this. But uh, yeah, I just, it, it's interesting that those two were, were so specifically cast with uh, yeah, with, with uh, the kid from the ice storm and the kid from the Goonies. <laughs> he was in Huck Finn before he was in the ice storm. I'll have That's you true. know. And uh, flipper. So. Yes. Wow. 
deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not proud of it. (laughs) Wait, wasn't that uh, the the Paul? Was Paul Hogan in that flipper? Right? Am I misremembering? Uh, Oh, Paul Hogan was in that flipper. Okay, talk about a deep cut. That's uh, I had forgotten that one. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm I'm, I, I'm sorry. I just had like a, a crocodile Dundee flashback. And was like <laughs> what? <laughs> that dude whatever whatever happened happened that guy. like a leather boot by now. <laughs> oh, one thousand percent. Yes, completely. I, I, mean, I, I also wouldn't be surprised to find out that he's said some horribly racist things since you know, since then he's since been canceled. But since he's Australian, he was already pre-canceled. Right. Yeah. Since he's Australian, we wouldn't understand them. <laughs> well, right. that's true. He did use some weird colloquial thing. He uh, gets ass. Call women dinkawides. You know, sure. You find out that Ninny Hammer really is just like a slur for you know a specific Asian community. Like what? <laughs> oh, Paul! No, Paul! That that but, happened um, to me with Fanny. Fan- <laughs> yeah. Wait. No. Isn't Fanny? Isn't Fanny actually a slur? Yeah, well, it, it means vagina, but it it's oh, it, it right. got euphemized to like it was an acceptable term in the states because we didn't know that basically. We right. didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> well, then we inverted it and made it about the the bussy, if you will. The bu- I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I you're you're really you're really turning me off fanny packs now, Pete. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Those do not sell well. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, the uh, places Tolkien can take us. Yes, if, this if is the only, transportive quality of the of the text. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if only if only uh, Frodo had had a fanny pack to keep the ring in. Uh, yes, instead, instead of that he chain. used a pocket, a front pocket, and a chain. I mean, you know, he's got a very cool looking little vest. It's very. He nice. does. It's definitely velvet. Costuming's oh. great here. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Like and and the 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 detail that goes into the different types of, you know, people, right? Yeah. Obviously we don't get into the Rohirrim here, but you know, like uh Aragorn's wearing like some weird p- piecemeal type of almost piecemeal armor, but mm. Boromir looks really great. I mean, he uh, Boromir looks like he hasn't been wandering in the wilds for eighty years or so. He looks very, very dapper with his little duble or whatever you call it, or doublet. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, so I guess uh, do we want to talk a little bit about like just you know obviously everyone I think everyone that's listening to this already knows how the sort of the synopsis of the movie. I don't think we need to really go into that, right? I think we're good. I think that would add an extra hour to the podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's a lengthy kind of synopsis and it's, oh. you know, to, to Carly's earlier point about just like how much there is here to, to, you know, kind of consume in terms of like externalities to the text itself. Like, uh, there's a lot of Tolkien to talk about and, and to contextualize everything would, would, yeah, I think you're right. Pete, take, Take an hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, so I do want to point out. So I do want to say that in in this, uh, actually, the, the book is pretty straightforward. It is almost uh, beat for beat for the movie. There are some asides that are um, 
moved around, like the whole sequence with Gandalf going to Saruman, who, you know, obviously, if you haven't been paying attention, that's a casting spoiler. Uh, whenever you cast Christopher Lee in a movie, he's the bad guy. He's the right. bad guy. Yeah. There was there was no doubt about it. I remember seeing it for the first time and being like, "That dude's fucking evil." Like, and I didn't know who Christopher <laughs> Lee was really at this point. But I'm like, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That that guy's supposed to be a good guy. Like, n- n- no, no, like, no, no. That guy looks like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's Dracula wizard. <laughs> also shaming Gandalf for consuming the halfling's leaf. Right. right. I was like, is he giving him a hard time for being a drug addict? That feels not cool. It's just tobacco. It's, it's just, just tobacco. tobacco. <laughs> yes, yes. I it have is. a I have a question for you guys actually that I've wondered every time I watch this movie um or any of the subsequent films. You know, it's asserted that like uh because this these films had such mass appeal that you could sort of deduce right that uh, many people who are unfamiliar with the original text um, still uh, can access and even love the story. But I would love to know what your guys' thoughts are on that because I actually don't feel like I can. I I I was lost a lot of times watching this watching this movie, um, and I felt very. Uh, v- very presciently that I was an outsider and that I was missing something. Um, so I'm curious as, as people who are, um, you know, who had been familiar with the text previously, if you feel like it is a movie, it is a, a series that people who haven't read the original text can still access and, and love fully. Huh. And follow along, frankly, just for practical reasons. <laughs> I think most of the readers are full of shit, to be honest. (laughs) Say more about that. Well, I mean, it has been my experience that many people who have read books have um, either they don't retain it or they do they do the skim to the good parts thing. Mm. And like, I, I mean, if if we're looking at a book that people read for leisure and I really do put this one in that category. I mean, most of the people who have read it versus most of the people who have watched the movie are probably retaining about the same amount of what's going on. Mm, interesting. Mm. Okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> as as somebody who came to the film, uh, obviously, you know, dry without having any uh, prior knowledge of it i will say that i i think that age certainly had something to do with it mm-hmm. like i didn't i didn't mind so much that i didn't understand all of it and i didn't mind so much that i didn't know who some of the characters were like if you had given me a quiz at the end of that that first watch i would have told you that vigo's character's name was strider not aragorn because mm-hmm. i missed them calling him aragorn for mm-hmm. the back half um i i liked the elf and the dwarf person i didn't know boromir's name i didn't know uh, what to call Kate Blanchett's character, like, and she just shows up at the end, and yeah, you, you know, like I, I could keep track generally of like what was happening because most of it is just like going from place to place to place. But uh, in, in terms of like the intricacies of the whys and the who's, like, I would not have passed. 
I, I love that response, except I would like to request you never use the phrase coming dry to the film again. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't say I went, I was going in dry. I said I came. <laughs> Yikes. Dry to the film. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having trouble perhaps answering your question, Carly, because I uh, I'd read the the books and and I've I've mentioned this before so Pete knows it but I'll, I'll have you know that uh, I initially start this is this is how sort of obstinately I was trying to to read these books I tried reading the books without reading the Hobbit uh, no go read no the go. Hobbit okay. tried getting into the Fellowship of the Ring bounced off once. <laughs> Tried it again, got halfway. We were on vacation uh, away from home with my parents, and I misplaced the book somewhere. So for about two months, I was just thinking about, well, what, what happens next? <laughs> and I went to the school library to check out Fellowship of the Ring again. Or, or to check out the Fellowship of Ring to you know continue on, and they only had the two towers. I was like, "Eh, what could have happened? <laughs> what 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 much? How much could have happened?" So I started I, reading. I could have missed that much. <laughs> I started reading two towers. I was like, "Huh, there's a lot going on here that I must oh, have boy. missed." I guess Gandalf died or something, and then. <laughs> Spoilers, folks, uh, <laughs> for a 70-year-old movie, uh, a 70-year-old book, 21-year-old uh, movie. Um, right. And uh, so I, I, but I kept going and I finished and then came, looped back around and reread it. Um, I I had probably read it probably like five or six times by the time the movie came out. So it's very difficult for me to really disentangle my own knowledge uh, and and sort of love of the text versus the movie because I was also like the movie was like Christmas Day for me. I was like, mm-hmm. this is yeah, like that that feeling you get when you come down and you're ready to rip open that first present. That was it. <laughs> so yeah, I I can't really answer it. I mean, if, if I'm being truthful, I'm probably sure that the intro is not quite enough for people. Uh, but this is obviously also a movie that you go with your friend who does know about it. <laughs> and, and sort of like nudges you and is like, yeah, that, that, that's, that dude knows the other dude. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it, it'll make sense in a bit. And that I'm was sure my mistake. All, yeah. Watching I'm it sure, alone. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's gone to a movie that has had that experience where somebody like takes you and is like, yeah, yeah. You, you sort of hold your hand a little bit. Um, so I, I do think that you're right. I think that the, the movie itself does its best to really, um, to really adapt it in a more accessible manner, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's a hundred percent successful if you just have had no, like you lived on another planet and you landed on earth and somebody said, here, watch this. Uh, I don't know that you would really be able to follow it a hundred percent. Well, you all are also making me realize something that often gets in the way of my 
enjoyment of life, which is um, that I uh, I don't like moving ahead without answers to things. <laughs> um, so like a lot of the, a lot of the trip ups for me in watching this movie um, with Aaron for the first time was I, I wasn't okay with just like not knowing the backstory or not knowing, well, well like why are the elves leaving? Like I, I, I wasn't okay with not knowing the answers to those things, um, which as I said, is uh, that's not a, like it's, it's not a trait I'm bragging about. It it often gets in the way of like my enjoyment of things. And I think for me, it's, it's certainly proven to be the case with, with this story that the, the really the best way to watch this is to just, as you said, Carlo, just let it take you away, let it transport you um, and not do what I do. And, uh, and often do with, with so many things like this, which is like, wait, I want to know who that person is or, or what, what that name of that character is or what's motivating this person? Why are they over here? And what, what about the forest? And I, I just found myself asking too many questions. And so, you know. I'm working on it, <laughs> but <laughs> sit down with your mother-in-law and have a couple of beers. <laughs> I know. No, really, really, Pete. Though you're making me realize that I absolutely should have just watched this movie drunk. Just gonna get you good and drunk for two towers. <laughs> so, I mean, I also think that there's something to the fact that if you read this at a certain, or you know, you're introduced to the the material at a certain age, whether whether it's the books or the or the films. Uh, like if you're a kid, uh, or, or, you know, middle grade or teenager or whatever, I mean, what the fuck do you know? Like you don't right. get answers. So why would the movie ever give you answers? And you, you're, I think as, as a general rule, your life is full of questions that never get answered. So you're, you're able yes. to really accept stuff that doesn't really give you answers or, you know, e either easy answers or answers at all. So you're, you're willing to roll with stuff. I think, uh, I think yes. that, that falls away with, with adulthood because part of it is the, you know, the anxiety, right. Of, of you're expected to know answers. So therefore you look for answers as well. And, and, you know, like that's actually considered to be like, how many times have you thought that saying, I don't know in a social situation or a work situation is actually a bad thing. Right. Yep. Excellently so, put. So, I mean, I, I just also think that, uh, there, there is a certain, withholding and and i don't think it's something that is uh i think it's intentional is what, I, what i'm trying to say uh from the source material and it's somewhat tr duplicated in the films where you're not really given full answers because part of sort of the morality right is it's that line with where um in, in, in when they're in the minds of Moria where Frodo, you know, complains that oh, I wish, I wish none of this had happened. I wish none of this, the ring had never come to me and so on and so forth. And Gandalf says, I, you know, he basically says, buddy, I, I don't have any answers for you, but you know, you know what the answer is? <sighs> you, you, everyone wishes that. And mm -hmm. honestly speaking, you just got to figure out what you get to, what you're going to do with the time you're given right now. And, you know, that is a, 
on the one hand, it can sound infuriating because it sounds like some sort of self-help mantra. But honestly, like I think Tolkien was when he wrote those lines was coming from a very honest position that sometimes you just you're thrust into the world with no answers into a story that's mm. ongoing and therefore you have no answers. You can only do what you're what you your best, really. That's all you can do. And that's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's also the thing that uh it, this is a scene a, a few scenes before which really sort of that line resonates with the line where where they're having the big argument at the council of elrond and you know frodo says i'll take it i'll take the ring uh i'll take it to mordor though i don't know the way mm, right yeah and, i'm also and- just realizing as as you said carlo like how how often in our adult lives, but specifically in like, uh, you know, the our adult lives under a, a capitalist system, we're not allowed to not have the answers. Um, and you're just making me consider the story um, in a different light. That that there is something really beautiful and refreshing about um, this insistence on like moving forward taking action even when you don't have all the answers mm-hmm. that's the only way change really happens right it has to be sort of a leap of faith mm-hmm. right well i mean and it's 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 an ongoing metaphor throughout the whole text that it didn't fall like the ring and the the whole quest isn't didn't fall on the shoulders of somebody that's great it didn't fall on aragorn's shoulders uh no one that is big has done this. It fell onto the shoulders of a race of people that look like children. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right. the, the unlikeliest of creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can learn everything you, you there is to know about a hobbit uh, within a month. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they'll you always know, surprise after, you. Yeah, after 100 <laughs> years, they can still surprise you. Yep. And. You know, one thing I will say, you know, and, and remark on as we're going through this is, you know, one of the things that I, I am really thankful for, you know, in, in our watches of this uh, this franchise, this series of films, uh, is that in spite of a lot of that, uh, a lot of the minutia and a lot of the the the, the more impenetrable, impenetrable elements of, of the story and the plot and who's who the things that I noticed that resonate with Carly when we watched it uh, are those deeply human emotional kind of moments and, and those, those sort of uh, evocations of that connection and that spirit uh, that Tolkien, uh, you know, is, is really insistent on in the books and, and that the movie seems to retain as well. And I think that that's the mark of like something that's a good story overall, right? Like, in spite of not knowing all the who's and the what's or even being able to relay, you know, the, the, the why's like there is still like a core to it that feels deeply human and that you can connect with even in spite. And I, I think it's like the, 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 the strongest superlative I can, I can bestow upon these films is that like y- you, you feel them even if you don't necessarily completely understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of to your point, like I was, I was just rewatching the the beginning and that whole scene where you oh, Ian Holm and Ian McKellen playing off of each other 
in that whole scene where he has to give up the ring, which uh, I mean, obviously, uh, is, is portrayed like uh, perhaps in in our modern parlance, like a, a, a an addict trying to give up, you know, whatever they're addicted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole scene is so good; it is yeah. amazing, and it's just two English actors with prosthetics in a room talking, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's, I, it's nothing. It's nothing super special. There's no CGI. It's just them, and it's so amazing. You guys, when, it like, you keep I'm sorry. Go say, ahead, Pete. Well, you guys keep saying deep and insightful shit, and I don't have anything. <laughs> well, I was okay, just going to say I, that. I, I was just I'm also say, the person that uh, watched this movie and asked questions the entire time. So, <laughs> grain, grain of salt. Fair enough. I mean, I. I think that that scene uh, works so well because at the end you, you, it's almost like a little, like an, almost an act in and of itself because you get Bilbo finally dropping the ring and it just, it clunks. Like it's got so much weight to it. And he just like, sort of like he walks outside and you see him even step a little lighter and you're like, okay, this is where the adventure starts, I guess. Yep. Yeah, he does have kind of a smile on his face. I th- I think I recall um, after he drops it, it there's that tension between like letting go of something that he he cares for and needs deeply, but also that is an immense burden on him. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, both. Uh, I mean, Ian Holm, Ash, as I like to consistently refer to him, um, is he, he, uh, he admires is, the purity of the Nazgul. Right. <laughs> he does. He, Uncomplicated uh, he's, by he's morality. He's so good for the like five minutes that he's in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's perfect. That scene is wonderful. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much like nuance there and, and they, they, they handle the tone of that scene so well, you know, it like it, when you read it, you know, and I know that we're trying to avoid too much of, you know, the comparisons between the, the novels and, and the movie. But one thing that I did want to talk about is just this, this beginning portion here um they they navigate the tone of that so well and make it mo- equal parts uh you know ma- make you endeared to to bilbo and ian holm while also understanding like that kind of like nascent menace and and that kind of like uh severity of of the condition and how difficult it is for him to drop the ring um but also yeah like i mean it goes back and forth and you ebb and flow with the characters so well part of the part of that is the score obviously like howard shore's incredible score um but it, yeah it's it, they they navigate the tone really really well and and the film manages to truncate and also like uh instate this urgency to like the first act of the film that is like so missing from the book like it it does not move at this pace and i think that mm. it's it's all the wiser and all the better for it yeah yeah i mean uh, i mean the the book is difficult mainly because after the party and after Bilbo leaves, 17 years pass. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it's handled in, in a chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, like there's, there's lots of parts of this, um, that, you know, if, if we want to talk a little bit about the books, there's lots of parts of this that I misremembered as being much longer, mm-hmm. partly because like they, they felt like they lasted chapters, plural, um, yeah. because basically you're so sort of drawn in to the struggle or what's going on or what have you that sometimes it's, it, you think much more, you know, like, Sure, the chapters may be a little longer, but 
it, it's it's a chapter you know it's not like chapters uh, it's not dragging on and uh but but yeah i i do believe that it was wise to because if you you want to inject it with some urgency you can't have oh yeah he dropped the ring and that's that that's the evil ring watch out frodo uh he's left you bag end uh and you just have sort of like a fade off and jump cut yeah. to him returning and uh, like 17 years <laughs> later <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh you don't put that in because you want to people who know know and if they don't they'll be like wait wasn't this an emergency yeah. 17 years <laughs> yeah the fuck why are we why are we camping so much why is there so much cooking why oh, is like why are we hanging out at the farmer's house for an evening like i thought we were gonna i thought that someone was coming to kill you like we should get this moving well yeah i mean uh in in the book there is a uh, because of the actual it's weird because the actual severity of the situation requires a, a defter touch so there's this mm-hmm. entire like uh, Sherrod that uh, Frodo's going to sell Bag End and he's going to move out to Buckland which is out in the eastern part of the Shire yeah. uh, to to then sort of cover over the fact that he's going to actually go <laughs> and uh, you know like to avoid lots of gossip because you know there are spies around uh, is the presumption so you don't let people know oh Frodo he's just up and left one day and you're like oh well, we know we know he had a ring, and uh, so yeah, it 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 makes sense in the book, but yeah, in the movie, it it it's probably wiser to just keep it flowing, keep the action going, because if you you inject that urgency into it, then you know people are going to be like, well, well, so why are they going to have tea now? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> sitting great. back you for know, tea <laughs> when when you turn the Nazgul, when you turn like the the ring wraiths into these like screeching like menacing creatures whose like horses are like bleeding from the eyes and give them like that like sleepy hollow moment where they like hack the the hobbit just like walking on the road like totally works <laughs> for for the tone <laughs> and for like the urgency and nature of this movie and I, I i love it i think it's like like so much of the film like we already talked about you know equal parts kind of silly and kitschy but also like really lovingly rendered, you know, with with a certain level of faith to the text, but also like trying to carve out its own sort of its own pathway and and make something riveting and entertaining. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that the and, and the ring wraiths are like creepy as fuck. I mean, they're they're yeah. well done in in the film, but like you know, it it sort of uh, sped up here. But like, there's that scene um, where they're they're hiding out in the crook of the tree. And you can hear it sniffing for them. And right. it's just yep. so unsettling because it's, I mean, in, in the books, they, they, I think they get a rumor that they, they see somebody tells them, Oh, there's a black rider and he got off the, the horse. And then he's just like, or they're peering at it from the, from a distance and he gets down and he gets down and snuffles around on all fours on the ground because apparently they can't see very well. Mm. Um, and so it's just very weird. I mean, the, the, the text itself has like these little horror, uh, sort of little flourishes of horror and dark, uh, fantasy in it that are just really great because they, they work so well against the, the idea of, you know, sort of like this, this glimmer of hope that something that they may be able to, to pull this all off. 
uh, you, you need to have extraordinary villains. Right. Mm-hmm. The going back to the point um, that was brought up in the beginning about this movie um, kind of setting itself apart from a lot of the CGI laden uh, stuff that came later. I think another thing that sets it apart uh, thusly is also the score. Whereas like, you know, like the Avengers score, for example, is like whatever it is, right? It's not something that you notice or necessarily pay attention to. There's like the Avengers assemble moment when, you know, everyone can sort of recount uh, the, the the sound of that. But the score is not noticeable, n- nor would I argue that it's like additive or doing any sort of like emotional labor as you're watching the films. Not the case with the score in in this movie uh it's beautiful and particularly as someone who's never um you know read the books before uh i just i was really drawn to the score and the music and i know aaron loves it too mm-hmm. um i, I, li- I listen to it while i work out <laughs> it, it, it it's pumps, really it good that's yeah. real that's that is a real thing that he does <laughs> awesome uh, I mean, I think that the, to your point, Carly, the, the score is pr- possibly so masterfully done because they introduce like these little, uh, like motifs, right? These little mm-hmm. phrases of a, a, a larger theme, um, like uh, right at the beginning, you get that little sinuous little piece of music at, in the intro, which is basically the rings theme, right? It's like this mm-hmm. weird little sinuous little piece of music that goes in and out and every time they're training you from the beginning of the movie to really pay attention to these little phrases that pop up uh you know you'll get like in the midst of like oh so you know so and so is like uh i i forget exactly where but i'm i wouldn't be surprised that if we go back and listen to um some of the the parts of the the party, Bilbo's party. Uh, the minute Bilbo is thinking about the the ring, or the ring comes into play, you'll hear a little tiny bit of that that little ring theme, right? Okay. Uh, and the same thing with the Shire theme, right? Uh, the 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 music that puts an, a, a smile on your face when the title comes up because it's so pastoral and peaceful and and sort of funny. Um, and you get that over and over again. Like there's lots of moments throughout these movies where those phrasings in the music are doing the work of introducing, uh, uh, like letting you know, or hinting at something. It's really great. It's artfully done too. Yeah. I mean, all of those individual moments are incredible. Like, and and the way that they're used throughout all three of the films, you know, like the, the Shire theme becomes sort of this, like this thing that you can grasp onto that shows up to like, like a, like a single little like ray of, of light through mm-hmm. like a really, really dark moment in, in Frodo and Sam's journey. Um, and, and in this one specifically though, like the way for, you know, a, a good portion of the first half of the film, they, they hint at that sort of like fellowship assemble. Hi, Chewie. Uh, hi, Chewie. <laughs> that that uh, that fellowship assemble kind of you know bombastic like like horn portion of the score when they're sort of like going in, in to the mountain passes mm-hmm. and they play like little bits of it throughout the first part of the film 
but it never actualizes until that that final moment when when the fellowship is assembled when they like yeah. are all on the quest together and it's like kind of a corny like slow-mo moment where they all like walk over the hill one by one and you get to see all of them and and that moment is like I don't know. There's, there's, yes, it is just like a yes kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, happens. it's got the, it's, I mean, but also it's, it's the, the use of instrumentation because like those are French horns, if I'm not mistaken. And that just has like a very triumphant sort of muted, but triumphant sort of sound to it. It's just fantastic. I know exactly. And, and you're absolutely correct. It's, it's the scene that they used in the Burger King commercials. Remember that? Yes, I do remember <laughs> oh that. Actually. <laughs> and, but I mean, it, 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 it is sort of corny, but you, by that point, you, you just don't care because it's just so good. You know, it does look like they're walking like across a sound stage or something. It looks a little <laughs> fakey. But it doesn't matter because it's just you're like involved, you're like emotionally involved now. Like they've come together, they're going to work this out together, and you know, and of course, that's the. It's obviously that's the high point, Um, and then they suffer like they fall all the way down into that denouement of this movie until the point where you know we we get yet another Sean Bean dying. Uh, but, but before that, I do want to point out that, that, that scene where he, um, is tempted, he finally succumbs to the temptation of the ring Mm -hmm. and he goes and follows, you know, like sort of like in a carefree manner, he's like, you shouldn't be out alone, little hobbit, you know, and that type of thing. And, uh, and that is also a great moment because it's, it's sort of like you, I'm not entirely sure if Elijah Wood is the same caliber as sean bean in this but he holds his own and really it's sean bean is the one that has to really uh sell it right because he is the one that has to sell you that on the one hand he's becoming more and more agitated and frustrated because he 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 should have the ring you know this is a a a phrase that everyone that thinks they should have the ring says right it should it Mm -hmm. should have come to me Mm. And uh, so he he gets really into this weird uh, abusiveness, and then immediately, like when he falls down and sort of like realizes he's he's fucked up royally, he immediately sort of repents. He realizes his mistake, and whether it's whether it's um, uh, genuine or not, it doesn't really matter because his actions really sort of speak for him right the fact that he decides to defend against all odds uh mary and pippin from being captured uh is something you know that something to see uh and of course when he actually falls and you know aragorn finds him like just breathing his last breaths and you know he says you know i would have followed you you know my brother my king oh fuck it's so good. <laughs> no one knows how to die like Sean Bean. No one does it like that. I, I have a and thought like, exercise for you guys. Um, please. I think, and feel free to correct me on this, but I think we all agree that like uh, Jackson was the man for this job to, to make this film. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I don't think, I can't think of anyone else like of like uh, at the time. 
like a, is, a is that what you were going to ask, Pete? Is is who else would have done this? My actual question is: let's let's say Jackson like quits at the last moment or something. Who is either mm. the best or worst choice to replace him? Worst, <laughs> Michael Bay. Worst. <laughs> yeah. There, there was like oh, a no. there's like a Twitter discourse that got going today about like thinking about terrible uh, directors to adapt like really beloved literary works and somebody posited that like Zack Snyder's Blood Meridian might be the most like <laughs> blood boiling thing that you could ima- imagine. <laughs> oh, just that phrase. Yeah, and then well, and then someone turned it into a poll and is like, okay, blood, you like you have. You have five hundred million dollars and the Blood Meridian script. Like, who do you pick to direct it? And they did a poll, and it was George Lucas, Zack Snyder, Michael Bay, and one other awful one. Oh my god! I, I think even I think even a friend of friend of Podside uh, Emma Burquist was in there, and she just put why, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. No, this is. I- this is like calling. This is like the reverse yeah. secret. You're calling Michael, the shittiest. Yeah. <laughs> you're calling the shittiest thing you can imagine into into being. No, thank you. Michael Bay is definitely one of the worst ones who could probably helm this thing at the time <laughs> that they were getting big. I'm I want to know what Pete's good. answer to that question is yeah. because I feel like you have a very clear clear person in mind. Well, I I have two in mind. And it's not so much that they would be the best or the worst, but I would like to see what they do. And those two are Verhoeven. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oof. Okay. Roger Corman. Okay. Because he, <laughs> yep. he'd do it on a $30 budget. Yeah. <laughs> and it would, I mean, the, the violence would be upped in, in either case. And you would probably have some like very overt, like homoeroticism in this film in a Verhoeven version. Like, like, the the Sam and Frodo thing would like go there mm-hmm. in in a Verhoeven version of this, yeah. But it it would it would probably also be icky in some sort of way. Like they are actually uh, they are actually cousins or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's an allegory for America in a lot of oh. ways in this one. So you know because we know how much you know Tolkien loved like the direct one to one allegory um, and his his work being being you know grafted onto some sort of world events. Wait, hold on. Can you hear that? Oh, that's that that humming is is Tolkien spinning in his grave. He's rolling. <laughs> He's rolling. Uh, I would love to see uh, Guillermo del Toro take on this this story. Well, he. Ooh, interesting. You say that because he was initially tapped to direct the Hobbit movies. Was he really? Yes. And yeah. then they got they got stuck in production for so long, and he was itching to to get on to to other things and, and make other films that he ended up leaving the project and, and Jackson took it over last minute. And it's why those films feel really rushed and like really, um, mm. yeah, just, just don't, don't well, measure he, up to these. He things. also, he'd also had an ongoing, uh, dispute with uh new line, mm-hmm. something about profits off of uh toy sales or something like that as well. Oh so he was also sort of really not, <laughs> he really did not want to do it. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's evident from the films. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> For sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll posit one that uh, actually I'll say instead of Guillermo del Toro, I'll, I'll see your Guillermo del Toro and up you one more amigo. Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Alfonso Cuaron would actually be perfect for this because like this is the 
this is a couple of years before he does Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he yeah. would have he would have knocked it out of the park. Absolutely, like Azkaban is really the movie that sort of propelled the entire imagery and sort of the the aesthetic of Harry Potter into the next phase. Mm-hmm. Mm, and, right. Yes. And uh, honestly, he he did that movie, and uh, I thought that was the shittiest of the Harry Potter books. And now the movie is possibly the best. Totally uh, agree. The best adaptation possible. Yeah, it's because I, I think he also understands like, um, like using the Prisoner of Azkaban as a, as sort of a template. He understands children how they react, so th- he he he's able to get into and 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 elicit uh, the correct um, what one of my performances is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say here from the actors based on, you know, sort of a, an emotionality standpoint, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's, and a good I think point. he would, I think uh, obviously it might be a little bit more, um, a, a bit different, the cast, but you never know. I don't know. This would yeah. also prevent the inevitable Roger Corman, Arwen boob shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there would be something in there, you know, but if we did, if we got Michael Bay, there would be a point at which, you know, Aragorn was playing with animal crackers on on Arwen's chest. So, oh, God. (laughs) Well, you know, instead of of being her beautiful little pendant uh, that contains apparently her life force, it would be an animal cracker. (laughs) An animal cracker. Steven Spielberg would inevitably make the uh, the orcs nazis yeah or he would have done great with uh with all the dad issue stuff with denethor in in return of the king though he would love that here's here's one for you what about sam raimi hmm interesting he's he's because i feel like pete because sam raimi is one of those people who i think has a similar trajectory to peter jackson right like he obviously started his career doing like the evil dead films and doing this kind of like campy uh, like you know, horror comedy kind of uh aesthetic that uh, certainly influenced Peter Jackson and, and like Brain Dead at least you know, mm-hmm. uh, or Dead Alive or whatever you want to call it. I think I, it's a- I, I I can see that actually. I can yeah. actually see that because I I think you're you're onto something because um even something like I I think I I rewatched uh the the Sam Raimi Spider Man two the other day. And so it's, good. It is so amazingly good. It's and it just amazing. It just moves between like pathos and a horror scene and, you know, just like outright camp. And then you you don't even know. I don't even know how to do that. It just wild tonal shifts between one scene to the next. And you're like, yeah, but it all works. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but it, it works. And I think that to a certain extent, I think you're right. I think that uh, that that is the same type of uh, deft hand you need in this, where you need a little bit that you know it's not exactly that winking at the audience, like isn't this silly? Because that's that's annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more like yeah, this is earnest, and yeah, it's going to be earnest. So mm-hmm. just buckle in, and we'll get to some weird fucking. Horror, a semi-horror thing in a in a minute. Check it out. Look, these yeah. these orcs are coming out of like the ground, like there's some sort of <laughs> oh. worm, <laughs> right? So visceral. They would have made like one of Shelob's uh, appendages, like chase Sam around, like in a, in a <laughs> tunnel. It would have been so good. amazing. I have a dumb question, uh, 
and we shouldn't end on this one, um, but uh, why is it necessary to describe the eye as lidless? Because it's awesome. I just didn't understand why that was important. I was like, it's a disembodied eye on the top of a tower. Like, of course, it's not going to be anatomically correct. I was so, this is why I'm like not fun to watch these movies with. Because I was like, why did he describe it as lidless? And Aaron was like, you need to shut up. (laughs) I mean, I I think, I think on the one hand, uh, the, the phrase itself sounds badass. Uh, there, there is a certain poetry twist. That's fair. Um, fire, yeah. and and on the other hand, it it is describing because if you say an eye, okay, I mean, sure, we see it, but if someone's saying it, you, I mean, I don't know if people are just having you know that 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 much of a problem with their attention, but if you just say it's a lidless eye, it never blinks, so it's unrelentingly looking around mm. everywhere mm-hmm. okay yeah well and you this know this is why i ask these questions there's the other component of this too i think which is like it's a vertical eye right like it's like reptilian and kind of a slit and so mm-hmm. people get at this point you go oh it's an eye and not yeah exactly a fanny and not a fanny <laughs> <laughs> vagina <laughs> sauron's vagina is looking for the ring Vagina. I, I could just see like like Gandalf nearly touches the ring and he's like, oh, we're fucked, you know? Right. <laughs> oh, shit, man. Shit. <laughs> it's, it's my pedantic impetuses that get in the way of uh, my being taken away on, on a journey. I mean, it's, it's valuable. It's I mean, it's like w- when, when we attack one of these movies – I, and I mean, like, it's essentially what we're doing. It's like we cut it into component parts in different ways or we look at the whole of it. But one of the things I really like about us as a foursome examining a movie is that each one of us is radically different in approach. Yes. Agreed. So true. <laughs> Love it. I do, too. Excellent. Well, you're Solidarity. Gonna, you're going to get a lot more of it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which two towers? There's a lot of towers no. in this. <laughs> you guys, I'm really gonna work on it. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm not I'm gonna work on it. When I say that, Carly did ask me, <laughs> "What? Which? Which towers are the two towers? Which towers? Where are, are the they? Two what you, towers you know, am I supposed to be invested oh, in? Oh God! You, you know what, Carly? Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little a little bit of an out here because it, it is actually in the text itself. It's never explained. And you're supposed to think again, it's, it's back to the, the, the sort of like the mirror images or the the halves that make a whole. Right. Um, so you're supposed to think it's Isengarden and the dark tower, the barred door, right? right? But it could be the tower of Ecthelion and Gondor and barred door, or it could be Isengard Mm -hmm. and, uh, or it could be, or it could be the tower of Ecthelion and Gondor and the fallen tower that has become Minas Morgul. That has been taken over, and so on and so forth. Right. It's it's not it's not just simple, right? Or the or the two towering women, Eowyn and Arwen, both competing <laughs> for Aragorn's heart. 
Oh boy! Oh wow! You, we're gonna give you. We're gonna give you a Whedon Award for feminist of the year, sir. It's the woke read. <laughs> Can I tell you guys the week's chewy story? I mean, we're an hour and a half in at this point. What the hell? Yes, <laughs> please. Let's just just keep going, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna pour more water, but I am listening. Okay, so. Um, like I, I, I just bought this, this Victorian monstrosity house that I'm trying to redo on the cheap. And I got done with my shower and I turned off the water and only the cold water turned off. The hot water <gasps> came off in my hand. Oh no. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, I, I, I went from having this gorgeous 19th century bathroom to having a gorgeous 19th century fountain where a bathroom should be. <laughs> And so I, I call I call the the plumber and then I have to go to work and Apple's visiting and you know all of that so she's she's here hanging out and she's got it all taken care of the plumber's coming and we told the plumber he's got a call before he walks in the fence but he doesn't so he walks in the fence and Chewie is protecting Mama of course. As Chewie is wont to do. Well, exactly. So, like, like Apple's sitting in here. I think she's a she's doing a Zoom meeting, and she hears growls and shrieks outside. And she looks outside, and this this overweight guy is being chased in a rapidly expanding <laughs> circle by an extremely <laughs> angry Chewie. Oh, Pete! Chewie how is d- the best protector. Pete, how how dare you reenact Farmer Maggot l- loosing his hounds <laughs> on Frodo? Yeah. <laughs> okay, but Pete, you do have to do your own version of of the Money Pit, like either like live tweet your experience or or something, because I can't like whenever you mention either digitally or if we're conversing something about your house, I can't help but picture that movie. I mean, just like you in a floor. Oh, oh, you got it. Uh, we are. Uh, so when I got this place, I got it for the change in my pocket. It was just ridiculous. And I was like, <laughs> I'm smart. I'm a financial genius. And I come in here and so far we've replaced the air conditioning, the pipes, um, we're going to change the flooring. Uh, we're going to recite it. Um, it turns out the drains in the back going through the yard are made of ceramic from <laughs> 150 years ago or something. And we've got yes. to replace. Yes, it just it just keeps going, man. It's the money pit. It is. You are Tom Hanks in that movie. Yeah, did did uh, did the guy that uh, sold you the house? Did was he Nazi's pool man by chance? Uh, because <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I, I I don't think ever anyone's ever ran out of a house as quickly. Like like I signed the paperwork and and they evaporated, man, never to be seen. Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the. Con- the, the- the dream of homeownership. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's conjuring. Like he, like he put on the ring. Uh oh. <laughs> the good news is my wife's a badass carpenter. So like a lot of these things that, that would be nightmarish are merely annoying. That's fantastic. It is handy to have a my uh my dad was a contractor for his most of his life and now he, you know, despite the fact that he's in his eighties, um still still carpens. And uh the thing with our house is that when when you're married to and when or when your dad is a carpenter um 
your house is never the one that's finished. It's everyone else's house houses that are finished. So hopefully that's not the case with you all. And, and you actually get to finish your, your beautiful Victorian palace in a, in a cornfield. I mean, the, the other possibility of course, is we get jobs somewhere else and run away with the job half done. Totally possible, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) no, you've invested too much blood, sweat and tears in it at this point. Now you can't leave it. Oh, I, I should I should pitch that at Apple and see what she does to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Excellent. All right. So uh, I guess we should probably leave it here at the uh, at the end uh, of the Fellowship of the Ring, where we're glad to have Sam along with us. So glad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Dude, I, I, I like I, I, in this most recent rewatch like that like choked me up and everything i was like god damn it yes it's extremely emotional yes it's the best i mean their relationship is like carly said the the bleeding heart of the entire thing it's the most emotional like core of it it's i remember when we were watching these last and i'm sure it'll happen again like there's a moment where carly looked at me and she was a little bit glassy-eyed and she's like he just loves Frodo so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I am sure he that does. I, he really I, does. He really does. Yes, yes, he really does. I mean, uh, the, the, uh, I, we'll, we'll we'll get to it in Return of the King because oof, oof, that's I'm, I'm a lot. Excited for that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, he, so the 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 Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. Uh, Quick anecdote. I I don't know if anyone who went to see it at the theater had the same experience I did, but I remember <laughs> distinctly where they stop and they 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 pan up and they're you're looking over the Emin Mule, like the the horrible hills that are that they have to traverse next, and uh, you know off in the distance there's the glow of Mount Doom and you know so on and so forth. And I remember credits start showing up. And some of the people in front of me was like, wait, that's it? <laughs> they didn't they didn't get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people like, were not anticipating it like they throws you for a loop. Yeah, they didn't know that there was more movie coming, right? Like and you know, at the end too, they like they they T-ball it up to the point where, you know, Aragorn's like, let's go hunt some orc. And Carly looks over at me and is like, is there still more movie? Like, like I've forgotten. Both, both, <laughs> both. Like, it feels like there should be more conclusion to this movie, but also like we've been at this a long time already. Can like, like, is this the end? Really, really, is it the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. But also, it's sort of also funny because it's it. You can distinguish between the people who only ever heard about the movie. And the people who knew, you know, oh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, that's three parts, right? Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people don't know this, but if you watch all the way through the credits, at the end, you've got the fellowship together sitting around a table eating, I think it was uh, Papadums. Oh, Pete. <laughs> right. Yes, it's Papadums in this one. That's what it is. It's uh, yep. shawarma. Shawarma <laughs> with Limbus. Uh <laughs> Oh, man. You know, it's so funny that you say that, though, because, like, there would be... There would. There would be, like, a teaser at the end of this and, like, you know, in in less deft hands where, like, you see the moment where, like, Gandalf, I don't know, comes back or, like, it's, like, them both falling and, like, landing and right before, like, he fights the Balrog, like, on on that icy mountain. 
It'll well, cut it, to black. It, but there would there would be something here that would be like, here's the next one. Yeah, no, it it would be it would be Gandalf on uh like uh, spread eagled, you know, like looking dead on top of the snowy peak, and then it pan in just really close so that you only get his eye and it opens. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. That would be it. But to bring it full circle, it is it is that uh perhaps and you all can attest to this or not, um, given that you've read the books. It is perhaps, as we were talking about earlier, um, Jackson's devotion to Tolkien's insistence on, or I guess uh, we could call it his his confidence in the fact that you can move forward without answers. And Jackson um, Jackson's ending uh, lands on that uh, on that confidence that you know he doesn't need to put an after credit little scene. He doesn't need to say, um, you know, stay tuned or whatever. It's just, it sort of ends with you knowing and uh, that there's more and wanting more and not, uh, and not having the answers as to where it's going to go, which is, that's a bold move. Yeah. And, and, and ending with a very small character moment, which is the, these are the two most important characters actually. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. I think, uh, yeah, we, we've we've gone about halfway through the runtime of uh, Fellowship of the Ring by now. <laughs> <Yep>. So <laughs> we, we're we doing could probably, it service. I mean, we could probably keep on going, but uh, uh, we should do we'll, Justice we'll, we'll, League together sometime. What the hell, right? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I mean, uh, we we could do an episode per uh, installment, right? Uh, so it'd be four episodes. That's a whole. That's <laughs> that, that's almost a whole month worth. <laughs> Half a month's worth of content right there, folks. And also a, a new podcast idea. So that, oh, yes. let's not forget about that. Drunk book reviews. It, 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 it sounds like I'm joking around with that, but I think that's seriously a fun idea we should explore. I am <laughs> fully seriously on board with you. Yes. Excellent. All right. Um, any last thoughts? Any uh, Actually, um Carly, Aaron, uh, do you want to plug anything specific? Uh, nothing specific beyond just uh, Hit Factory Pod. Yeah, you can uh, follow us online at Hit Factory Pod. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to us at patreon.com slash Pod. We've got a couple of really good ones coming up in the future. And um, I'm sure that I, I'm not going to say which ones because, uh, you know, this this will be released at a later date. But just know that whatever's coming up next, it's going to be good. <laughs> There's your teaser. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also <laughs> tune into uh, your your excellent uh, review of uh, Encino Man, where friends of the pod, uh, Kurt Schiller and Chris Woodward, came on to talk about the absolute, uh, what is it, nuggage? Nuggage. <laughs> oh, grindage. The grindage, the nugs. The, yes. The nugs, the grindage, and the juice of the wheat iso. Mm. Uh, Comrade Polly Shore. Shore. Uh, and Encino Man, yeah, it's it, that, I I have to rewatch that one. It's a so masterpiece. Good. It's it's a I'm I dare I say it. It's a beautiful film. It is. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's just about dudes being bros. It's about, it's about but you know what? Not unlike this movie, right. it is about dudes loving each other. That's right. Yes. I mean, I I wanted to actually make that connection, and thanks for picking that up. All right. Well, um. If that's it, uh, and unless Chewie has some objection, uh, I think we can wrap it up, folks. Yeah, he's just laying there passing gas. 
<laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Well, you, you never know how Limbus is going to treat you, so. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening in, folks, and keep tuned in for the next installment of the Lord of the Rings films. So thanks again for listening to Podside. See you, everybody. <laughs>